Hello, and welcome back to the Noah Gantz Show. Today is September 14th, 2020, and we have a great show for you today, so stick around. So before we get into the show, uh, I have a couple of, uh, I guess, updates for the show. You may have noticed that I've missed the past uh, three or four days of uploads, and that is because the show's format is shifting uh, I'm shifting it from a daily series to a weekly series, so this will now be a weekly report of news and politics. And yeah, I did that because uh, as my university uh, starts to start back up again, I realized that I'm not going to be able to maintain the same consistency and quality in daily episodes. Uh, however, now that the show is weekly, uh, each episode should have a higher production quality. So that is something to look forward to. Something else I wanted to bring up before we got started is also the show is now hosted on Apple as well as Google Podcasts. So if that is your preferred podcasting method, then by all means, take advantage of that. So what I want to talk about first is a few months ago, Bob Woodward, a CNN affiliate, interviewed President Trump. And the tapes for that have recently come out, uh, where Trump talks about downplaying the uh, severity of coronavirus. Uh, I'll roll that clip. It goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. and That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. This is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. So that was recorded in February, uh, February 7th to be exact. Uh, think about February. We did not know a lot about coronavirus, but Trump here seems to be very certain of its deadliness and its severity. However, let me play you a clip of Trump from two weeks after having... Uh, called coronavirus deadly and basically calling it a serious concern. Let me play you a clip from two weeks after that. And again, when you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. So to lay this out, early February, Trump uh, does an uh, interview where he says coronavirus is a serious concern. It's deadly. Two weeks later, uh, there are 15 reported cases of coronavirus in the United States, and Trump says those 15 cases will soon go to zero. Why? Why is he talking to this news anchor, uh, rightfully saying how deadly and important it is in private, and he goes to the public and says, oh, this isn't a concern, 15 cases will go to zero. Well, they clearly didn't go to zero. We're at over 140,000 cases in this country. But later, uh, Trump uh, interviewed Bob again, and here's what he had to say about it. I, I cannot believe this clip exists, but here it is. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you... Sure, I want you to I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. So that clip was taken from late March, uh, obviously by the time coronavirus had become a serious problem in the United States. And make no mistake here, when Trump says, uh, I played it down because I didn't want to cause a panic, that's not true. 
he played it down at the time because he was hoping he could kind of just step back and hope that it magically fixes itself. You saw this with hydroxychloroquine and why Trump pushed it so hard. Because he was hoping for a Hail Mary that coronavirus would just magically fix itself or there would be a magic drug. And when that doesn't work out in the way he wants it to, he just denies it. As the President of the United States, he has a responsibility to speak on behalf of the concerns and public health interest of our country. And when he's telling people, uh, basically saying, this isn't a concern, don't worry about it, it's costing lives. If he would have come out and said, instead of 15 cases, we'll go to zero, if he would have said what he knew, what he said behind the scenes, which was coronavirus is a, a deadly virus, it's a serious concern, and we're going to have to deal with this as a country, uh, it might have been a different story by now with our coronavirus response. So this next story I want to talk about is coming out of Utah. A 13-year-old autistic kid was shot several times by the police after the mother called uh, in an attempt to de-escalate an autistic meltdown the child was having. The child was critically wounded, but thankfully he has survived, and he is currently recovering in a hospital in Utah. Here's the thing. We are not training police officers correctly to handle situations like these. The kid is 13 years old. That, that is a child. There should be no reason, uh, whenever it comes out, the full report comes out, there's really no plausible reason I could think of where the police would have to draw their guns and fire upon him. The kid was 13 years old. The police are simply not trained correctly to handle these kinds of situations. I've seen a lot of people saying that um, this kind of incident uh, should be moved to a social worker or some kind of other agency rather than the police. It's an interesting debate to be had whether we should try and reform our police training to handle uh, better de-escalation practices and things like that or just create other departments to deal with different kinds of situations that don't necessarily warrant a police uh, presence. Overall, what I would say is that we need to fund better training programs for our officers, have better screening programs for individual applicants of officers, and we need to start shifting funds away from militarization of the police into more social work aspect of the police. Maybe have some officers that are specifically designed to handle uh, nonviolent situations, uh, such as this one. It would end up in a lot less 13-year-olds getting lit up by the police, I can say that much. Next, I would like to bring up a story out of Israel, uh, the Middle East region in general, I should say. Uh, the small island nation in the Persian Gulf of Bahrain has agreed to normalize its relations with Israel and recognize it as a legitimate state. This is the second country, along with the United Arab Emirates, to do so, and it's a good thing. It is a good thing. This is a good thing to come out of the Trump administration because they were the ones that brokered the deal. In that way, I do have to give credit where credit is due. It's not often that the Trump administration does anything of actual competency. But uh, Jared Kushner leading this effort, uh, yeah, it was great. It's good to see a normalization of relations between countries in the Middle East. 
because um, the victims of it are the citizens of the countries. Uh, the the hatred of the Muslim and Jewish state, uh, it has caused countless civilian deaths. Any way you spin it, terrorism on both sides, uh, and I'm not going to say right now if one side is more of a aggravator or if one side's more in the right or wrong. All I'm going to say is it is good that the countries are recognizing each other. It's obvious at this point that the state of Israel is going nowhere, and I think that the most reasonable thing that uh, all these Middle Eastern countries can do is to recognize Israel. Flat-out denial of it is doing nothing for anyone at this point except hurting uh, people's individual rights and their, their uh, freedom and their safety in the region. And the more we can normalize diplomacy between these countries is good. Now, I'm not naive. I understand the underlying reason behind it. I recognize that the UAE and Bahrain aren't doing this out of the goodness of their hearts, um, and Israel isn't normalizing relationship uh, out of the goodness of its heart either. I, in case you're unaware, it is due to the fact that Palestine, which is currently um, what some would call the occupied territory, is a majority Shia uh, Muslim country while uh, the countries of Bahrain and the UAE are Sunni Muslims. Uh, they are currently involved in a complicated web of proxy wars against Iran, which is the largest Shia Muslim country in the world. In basic terms, uh, it would boil down to the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that is why Bahrain and the UAE have um, increased their diplomatic relations. Now, this next thing I want to talk about, uh, some might say, is a little early. I say it is an important thought experiment that we could partake in to perhaps uh, see where the future of the country and the future of our political realm is going, and that is a speculation on the 2024 presidential election. Now, I bring this up because a uh, member of Trump's campaign, former member actually, um, irrelevant who he is, uh, but he claimed that Tucker Carlson, uh, who many of you know as the uh, acclaimed host of Tucker Carlson Tonight, which is the currently uh, highest rated political show on air right now, uh, so you could say we're a bit of competitors, I'm joking of course, but uh, that Trump advisor said that Tucker Carlson will be the presidential nominee for the Republican Party in 2024. And that really piqued my interest. I thought it would be interesting to think about that for a second. Now, here's the thing. I think that Tucker Carlson uh, could be the Republican nominee, but I think there would be some things that would have to happen first. Uh, the first thing to make Tucker Carlson the nominee would be Joe Biden gets elected president in the year 2020, which I currently do not think will happen. Uh, my current prediction uh, this You could call this my official prediction. Uh, as of September 13th, 2020, subject to change, of course, but my current prediction is that Trump will win re-election. I would say that I'm about 60% sure he'll win re-election, while I'm about 40% sure uh, Joe Biden will win. So I'm not convinced or anything, but I think Trump will win. Many before me have pointed out that so-called Trumpism will die long after Trump. Trumpism, of course, is the... Uh, political actions, the way he acts in office, uh, it's pretty easy to spot, you know, Trumpisms. 
it's what set him apart from every other Republican candidate in 2016. Here's the thing. If Trump wins again, I think that in 2024, the Republican nominee will be Mitt Romney. And if Trump loses and Joe Biden becomes president, I think the Republican nominee in 2024 will become a Tucker Carlson type, or, of course, Tucker Carlson himself. In these last few decades, American politics uh, has shown a pattern with electing presidents, which is that a president of one party will run a full term, and then a further left or further right president of the opposite party will follow him and run a full term. Uh, and it, it, it creates a shifting Overton window going both sides outward. Uh, let me try and explain this in actual literal senses. Uh, Bill Clinton, moderate Democrat, uh, ran and was in office for eight years, followed by George W. Bush, who was a moderate conservative, who ran and was in office for eight years, followed by Barack Obama, a far more progressive Democrat than Bill Clinton, followed by Trump, who is perhaps one of the furthest right presidents we've had in modern history. What happens every time an incumbent, almost every time, is going up for re-election for the presidential office is that the other party will try and have a more moderate figure run, such as a Joe Biden, think about a Mitt Romney, a very moderate John McCain, John Kerry, very moderate, uh, can almost, in quotations, appeal to everybody type of candidate. And here's the thing they always end up losing. That's why I'm saying if Trump wins re-election, I think Mitt Romney will be the Republican nominee. I think you can see it. Uh, he voted against Trump uh, in his impeachment process. He voted to impeach Trump. And Mitt Romney also recently was uh, publicly marching with Black Lives Matter, unlike most other Republicans at the time. Uh, I think it is, it's very clear to see what he's doing. I think, in my opinion, he's setting himself up for a re-election. And, again, what will happen is if he's put up in 2024, I think he'll lose because, again, he's the appeal to everyone, in quotations, candidate. Uh, those people do not win. And that is why, if Trump wins his re-election, uh, you'll just see another Trumpist, Tucker Carlson-type run and, in my prediction, lose against what will likely be a far-left candidate, um, further left than Barack Obama, as the pattern continues. Um, I'm not going to get into speculation there. Uh, some were saying Nina Turner. Personally, I hope for an Andrew Yang campaign in 2024. That is who I will be publicly supporting, if things have not changed by then. Moving on, uh, former attorney of Trump, Michael Cohen, who is now currently uh, serving house arrest for three years due to campaign finance mishandling, uh, has come out with a new book about Trump and has recently been interviewed about the book where he says that Mike Pence will pardon Trump uh, before Trump leaves office. Uh, let me roll that clip. My, my theory is that if he loses, there's still the time between the election and the time that... Um, the next president would take office. And in during that time, my suspicion is that he will resign as president, he will allow Mike Pence to take over, and he will then go ahead and have Mike Pence pardon him. And it's a very, let's just say, it's a very Nixon 
type of event, and it was probably discussed between Roger Stone and President Trump at some point, that this is certainly one way to avoid any potential prison time. Now, what Michael Cohen is talking about uh, is completely legal. There, There's nothing in the Constitution, in any of our laws, that make it that the president could not step down and be pardoned of all crimes by the vice president, who would, of course, become the president upon the president stepping down. But here's the thing. I do not think this will happen. This is a fantasy. This this is something that they're coming up with just to ensue uh, future panic. They, they want you to be panicking about things that are going to happen in the future. But to begin with, this will not happen. Let me explain why. Actually, I don't have to explain it to you. Uh, I can just let the president explain it to you himself. Four years. We found nothing. Four years. Think of it. For four years, from the day I came down the escalator, I've been under investigation by sleaze. And they found nothing. They found nothing. A friend of mine said, you have to be the most innocent, honorable man ever to hold the office of president. Think of it. They spent just Mueller alone. He spent, I guess the real number turned out to be $48 million, but whatever it was, many, many millions of dollars. They had 18 angry Democrats looking. They had FBI agents all over the place. They had every, and they have no collusion. Friends of mine have said, sophisticated friends have said, you've got to be the most innocent guy well, there you have it. Uh, Trump doesn't need to be pardoned by Mike Pence because he didn't commit any crimes. You heard him, right? He's the most innocent man to ever hold that office. But wait, it's not just anybody saying that. It is Donald Trump's very own sophisticated friends. You, you did it. You, you, you did it. He excused himself. There, there's no need for any more investigations. Russiagate what? Uh, military handlings in Ukraine, unauthorized war, campaign finance. It's nothing. He's the most innocent man ever. And we've all, thankfully, been able to come to that conclusion today. In all seriousness, what the thing is, is that Trump truly does believe that he's innocent and that he has committed no wrongdoings. Maybe not in his presidential run, but maybe ever. Maybe he thinks that he is literally God, or at least he publicly thinks that way. But he would never step down in the period between November and January to let Mike Pence pardon him, because it would just be incriminating himself. Even if he knows that what he did was against the law, no matter what, he, he'll just deny it. Uh, gaslight everyone as a thank you and goodbye from office. But, like I said earlier, we probably won't have to worry about any of this, because as I predict, Trump will win re-election. Alright, well, I hope you all had a great time listening. Uh, as you may have noticed, the show is about twice as long as usual. That comes along with the weekly show uh, in the new format. Uh, hopefully in the future, I can continually uh, increase the production value and the length of the show. I would love to have it go to 30 minutes to 40 minutes every week. Uh, as I get better with uh, building this show, though, I, I, that will surely happen. 
Uh, another reminder, the show is hosted now on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and pretty much wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, it's not on Pandora yet. Uh, one day if we work hard enough, right? But uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all have a great rest of your day.